tornando a casa, sta tornando a casa, sta tornando a casa, sta tornando a casa. What are you doing? Uh, well, I was trying to do It's Coming Home in Italian, but I failed miserably. When did you learn that? Uh, I just Googled it before we started recording. Try it again. Sta tornando. I can't do the tune. That's, it's, yeah, it's more of a chant than a tune. It's hard. Da, 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 da. Sta tornando a casa. Sta tornando a casa. Sta tornando a casa. Tre leones. Great. That sounded way more Spanish than Italian. But why would you do such a thing? Because it's a week later. You've stopped crying enough for us to be able to do a podcast. And Italy are the European champions. And who predicted that, Kyle? That would be you. And how long out did I predict it? From, I'd say, the second game. Yeah, boy! It's your man, Joel Samuels. Come to me for all your betting needs. Did you make any money at this tournament? No, I did not. Hello, listener. How are you? It's uh, later than advertised, but, you know, life life gets in the way. You know, Carl and I have been uh, stocking up on canned goods in advance of Freedom Day. Um, So, yes, Kyle, hello, how are you? I'm... I'm still not quite ready to watch the game again, but I'm ready to talk about it, and that's why we're here today. So I watched. I've not watched the game again. I saw the goals. I saw the, the goals again. Luke Shaw's goal, amazing. Benucci's goal, classic catalogue of errors defending. Uh, and I watched the penalties again because I was mostly just to see uh, Jordan Pickford stare Jorginho in the eye. I was like, I bet he watches him. Until the very last set. And I cannot tell you, he moves after he's kicked the ball. He literally waited and, and like watched him. Stared him down. It was amazing. The supreme will of Jordan Pickford to bend eventualities to his desire is quite sensational. He saved that shot from point black range for the equaliser onto the post. There's not much more he could. Most goalkeepers would have not got a sniff near that ball. The save for the Jorginho penalty was Hollywood. It just came at the wrong part in the shootout. Mm, yeah, at the point when England were in a three-penalty miss chain. Is that a thing? Yeah, chain so, reaction. So, what a tournament. Let's um, let's park that for a second. Let's just say, like, listener, if you only listen to us around this time of year, if you only listen to us uh, around these tournaments, um, I hope that we helped you enjoy it more, but frankly, I don't think you needed us. I thought it was one of the best international tournaments in the last 20 years. I'm, I'm going to try and not link the success of this tournament to Englishness in any way, uh, but I did say in, in our sort of uh, warm-up episodes, could this be another iconic tournament like Euro 96? Mm. Uh, and it was. Mm. Uh, and some of that obviously was to do with the success of the England team. Um, and we can call that a massive success, I think. I think to call it a failure by not winning is wrong, wrong, wrong. But and short-sighted. That's the first major final they've been to in 55 years. That's an incredible achievement. But aside from England, it was a glorious tournament. And, and also, just to prove the point, England got to the semi-finals of the World Cup and we definitely weren't sitting together after that tournament in uh, 2018 and saying, one of the best tournaments I can remember. We were saying, good tournament, some good games, but in general, actually, it was a bit of a damp squib in I, Russia. I can't remember many of the moments that weren't English. I can tell you that Russia went beat Spain on penalties. I think so. Yeah, but this one had more moments. Oh, just some extra and just some amazing games. And whether or not it was because these players have been operating at the top 
as top athletes for an extended period of time, unlike any that they would have had in their career. Um, whatever, whatever reason, whether they were tired, whatever it was, some of those games, the 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 three the the three three the pair of three threes at full time, which we discussed in the last episode, uh, the Italy Belgium game, where I honestly don't think I've seen two teams playing at that level of intensity for ninety minutes in a long time, just in general, I just really enjoyed it. And a lot of the stories around it, I enjoyed the controversial things. Um, uh, UEFA representatives taking away LGBT flags, but then at the same time, footballers, a new generation of footballers, maybe abandoning some of the stereotypical homophobia of the past, coming through and determined to wear rainbow armbands, the rainbow car driving onto the uh, field in the last game, all of those little things. Um, led to what I think was a really amazing tournament set in the backdrop of a global pandemic. So maybe it shouldn't even have been happening. Maybe that's another reason why it was so enjoyable. We hope you enjoyed it. And we want to say thank you for listening and sharing this experience with us. We're going to go into some of our favourite moments in the tournament in a bit more detail after this. Hey there, my name is Fede. I've been living in this country for the past nine years. Um, I really wish I could be home in Italy watching the game tonight surrounded by my friends and my family but hey I can't be I can't do that this year so I'm gonna be watching it from Mitchum <laughs> um, I am a little bit superstitious so I'm not gonna say too much about it but yeah obviously I really hope we're gonna win tonight ciao tutti uh, my name is Simona and I've been living in London for six years but tonight I really wanted to be back home for the big final um, I'm going to watch it home here with my friends, just Italian people, to support our team and Chiesa, they will score the goal. And uh, hey, it's coming Rome. Forza Italia. Welcome back. So, many things happened in this tournament, but the first and foremost thing is some players shone like the diamonds that they are. They shone bright like diamonds, would you say, Kyle? Which ones? Oh, so many, so many to choose from. Almost too many. I wonder if there's a way that we can, like, uh, sort of create a short list of players that we could then judge from. Yeah, I think I know a way. Let's use the team of the tournament decided by UEFA. Oh, nice. Um, it, it, as a departure point, Joe, we won't agree with all of them, but no. I'm sure we'll, we'll, it's a good place to start. Yes. Let's start with the goalkeeper. Uh, who would that be? Gianluigi Donnarumma. I've heard of him. How many penalty saves? At least two. I think maybe as much as five in the in the in the semi-final and the final. Mm. That's that's good enough. I mean, just in general, the man. I mean, for for the, watching football during these these times, surrounded by people who aren't football fans, one of the things that really stood out was people kept on saying, "My God, he's so big, he's massive." I mean, I, just patting myself on the back a little bit, Kyle, I uh, uh, pointed him out at the start of the tournament, said he was going to be Italy's Barnier Stormer. Uh, I can't think of another goalkeeper who's had a better tournament. He has just moved to Paris Saint-Germain. He is 22 years old. He is going to be the Italian goalkeeper for at least the next decade, if not longer. Is he also the player that's going to push Paris Saint-Germain to win the Champions League, finally, for their Qatari owners? Anything is possible for this guy. The world is at his hands. And I think 
absolutely correctly chosen to be the goalkeeper of the tournament. If the world is at his hands, does he A, parry the world, B, grab the world safely and securely and bring it into his chest, or C, knock it round the side of the post? Uh, more importantly, if the world is flat and he's a goalkeeper, how does he catch it? The world isn't flat. Yeah, but if it is... This is not that type of podcast. Definitely is. Oh no, it's the flat earth chatbot! Oh, by the way, incidentally, a side issue. Did you hear about all this um, Israeli maintenance? No, what's the word? Uh, surveillance. Yes, Kyle, I did. Do you think that we've been part of that? Because we do. Pegasus. Something... Yeah. I think if you say Pegasus, let's say Pegasus enough times. Three, two, one. Pegasus. Pegasus. I feel like that's enough. Now we're definitely getting chatbotted. Finally, back... people will listen to us. Back to the team. Yes. Um, I think there are. You said there was no challenger to the the best goalkeeper of the tournament. I said I said I put two names forward. Go on then, Pickford. I think Hollywood wise, bigger saves in bigger moments, but less. I think the two of them conceded between them in non penalties, just in normal uh, three or four goals tops, which is insane. For they played fourteen games between them. Mm. Um, Pickford only was only beaten once, and that in itself in in regular time, as as our listener well knows. Oh, yes, twice. Sorry, yes, Denmark scored that uh, worldie of a free kick. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, so, you know, Pickford was only beaten twice. Donnarumma, I think, was only beaten three times, so it's five goals total, maybe twice even, actually. So it's four times each. I, 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 I know what you're saying, but I think there was something about the, the way that Donnarumma commanded things. There was a couple of, like, last-minute saves from Pickford, or, sorry, la- like, you know, you know, one-on-ones, whatever, but Donnarumma just never looked bothered. I see what you're saying. Whereas Pickford looked constantly, constantly bothered. Jordan Pickford has a face. That's not the end of that sentence. Jordan Pickford has a face that looks constantly worried. Oh, concerned. Um, he, I read so, many, so much social media action about him saying basically, I wish I could bring Jordan Pickford vibes to my job, screaming and shouting at people for doing their jobs correctly uh, and making me do my own. I like it when he responds really aggressively when a defender does well. Whereas Donnarumma sort of just stands there whilst Chiellini shouts in his face about how good things have gone. So would you rather have a goalkeeper that looks like he doesn't have to try or a goalkeeper that looks like he's trying to the very maximum of his capacity? Are you saying would I rather have Donnarumma or Pickford? Or I am. Are asking that question? Because I think that question, I want the trying to the maximum capacity. Would I rather have Donnarumma or Pickford? I'm sorry to say, Jordan, you've been wonderful. I would rather have Donnarumma. And stepping up to the podium, for me anyway, in this imaginary podium, bringing a bit of Olympic flavour into this tournament, the third best goalkeeper in my book, Kasper Schmeichel. Hey, you picked him out before the tournament. You said he's going to be following in his father's footsteps, that Denmark were going to have a resurgence akin to 1992. You were right. They uh, got to the semi-final against all expectation, especially after how their tournament began. I would say those are the top three goalies of the tournament. When Kasper Schmeichel saved that Kane penalty, and oh it, it looked God. like it looked like that was England's chance over for a split second, I felt so sorry for him on the rebound. Mm. But also, Harry Kane doesn't miss penalties, and so that was extraordinary. Great save. Great. He's save. a great goalkeeper. Yeah, he is. But the goalkeeper of this tournament, and actually awarded the player of the tournament, which never goes to a goalkeeper. Gianluigi Donnarumma. Let's uh, talk about the case for the defence, Joel. Case for the defence. Open it up. I'll give you Euro 2020's back four. Please. Kyle Walker of England. Leonardo Bonucci of Italy. Harry Maguire of England. And Leonardo Spinazzola of Italy. Interesting. Anyone missing from that team for you? So right back, Walker's an interesting one because so he's played right back twice in the whole tournament. 
You played right centre back a few times. So, so hold on, actually, I've got that wrong. So he played. He stu- uh, So he he played the first game uh, at right back. The second game, both he and Trippier for Scotland were dropped. Uh, so Rhys James played. The third game, he came back in at right back. Then he moved to right centre back. Then he moved to right back. Then he moved to right centre back, and he stayed there till the end of the tournament. So. Interesting shout for the right-back of the tournament, someone who, who didn't play all the games and also didn't start in right-back the whole time. Listener, you'll remember, Joel, not really being much of an England fan. Can you think of anyone else who can tell you the order of the games in which the, uh, a player changed position and get it exactly right? Even I couldn't do that. Um, yes, Joel, I agree. Um, but as I said, we said in the, in, the, in the group stages, the fashionable, trendy formation for this tournament and probably what we remember is those marauding fullbacks? Yeah. So by choosing backs. a back, yeah, sorry, wingbacks. So by choosing a four-four-two, a four-four-man defence rather than a three-man defence with the wingbacks, you're missing out on all the sexy players. So Denzel Dumfries. Yeah, Denzel. Uh, Holland may have gone out uh, to the Czech Republic, surprisingly, but I thought his performances in the group stage were enough to merit him at least being in the conversation. Mela, Marla, Mela, Mela for Denmark. Denmark. Other side. Oh, is he a left back? Yeah. Oh, I apologise. Now, Spinazzola, I feel, we didn't have this category this time, Joel, but he is an absolute Russian roulette. He is the player that has got... His stock has risen so much in this tournament from three or four good performances and then getting injured. So the fact that he got injured has made him look so invaluable to the team. They were fine without him. Absolutely fine. They won the, they won the tournament. Having said that, he was so vital to... If anyone who watched Italy before he was injured, he was so vital to the way they played because Insignia at sort of left-hand sided forward comes inside so much on his right foot and Spinazzola was overlapping. I mean, quite often Spinazzola was the furthest player forward for Italy and they don't really have... A replacement, Chelsea's third choice left back was their second choice left back. That's a tricky situation to be in. I would say Spinazzola and Myler would be my left backs of the tournament. I think Spinazzola shades it. Sad for him because he's always injured. He plays for Roma. They rate him highly. Clearly Mancini rates him highly for Italy. Clearly the Italians love him, but he's just never fit. Jose Mourinho has got a wonderful opportunity now to blame all of their losses. He's the new manager at Roma, Spinazzola's club. So already he's saying, well, obviously we've lost our best player. We've probably never heard of him before the tournament. I, I think he's, an. I think he's, I would say he's probably more right to be there at left back than maybe Kyle Walker has to be at right back. Maybe we can move Spinazzola over to right back and bring in Shaw, 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 how do you like it? So you would say Luke Shaw would be in the team of the tournament ahead of Carl Walker on the basis of his assists, his defensive solidity. Both going forward and defending, he was great. What a surprise to me, Joel. Never liked him. And I have to say, I'm a convert to Shaw. You sure? Yep. He didn't start the tournament either. No. Can we can we agree on the centre-backs, Benucci and Maguire? Yes. What about Chiellini? I, I think... Chiellini was out for longer than Maguire was. So Maguire missed the first game and came back for the second game. Chiellini missed three games. But that brings in my favourite moment of the tournament, Joel. The semi-final, who's going to take the penalties at what end decision, where we had Chiellini, the captain of Italy, Mm. and the captain of Spain, Jordi Alba, having to sort of stand in the centre circle with the refs, flipping a coin, which end are we going to take the penalties? I've never seen anything like it. Chiellini was joshing around like him and Albo were best friends. They never played together for the same team, not friends. And it was a mixture of camaraderie and abuse. Camaraderie. What did you see? 
Uh, I saw a, a very tall player picking up a very small player and the very small player looking very angry about it. He, he was sort of laughing and joking, but I, it was one-sided. He sort of did like a sort of slap and a half little joshing punch. He punched him in the face. Yeah, I, 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 Hordy Abba would have been within his rights to kick off a little bit, I think. But that's why people like Chiellini. He's got a very smart brain and if the captain of the team is... So relaxed and laughing, and here we are in a semi-final. It brings the whole team's focus in and just relaxes them. Whereas the Spanish players looked mortified. And specifically, Jordi Alba looked mortified. Haunted. Yeah. Um, I would say Maguire over Chiellini. Uh, other centre-backs who had a good tournament. It's hard to think of anyone in particular. Kier. Yep. Well, Kier has had a great tournament. Simon Kier had a great tournament for Denmark and... More than that, probably wins the humanitarian award for saving Christian Eriksen's life and putting him in the recovery position and all that stuff. I think for that alone, he should be the player of the tournament. Yes, agreed. But hey, how are we going to value you? Listen, it's football. Football clearly values football over life. Discuss. Let's not discuss. Let's discuss one other thing. Because I think what we're actually nicely doing here, Joel, is through the team of the of the tournament, also discussing our favourite moments. Yeah, that's It's worked synergy. Um, it's almost like we planned it. Chiellini pulling the neck back... The shirt, the scruff of Saka's shirt is an, will be an iconic image of this tournament we will never forget. I've got something on this that will annoy the people that listen to us uh, casually. I Will annoy them casually or casually? The casual football listener. Ah. I did not like people's response to this. Either people saying, uh, jokingly calling it racist... I was like, no, that's not okay. Uh, there's actual racism, which we will get onto later, to be discussed in football. Oh, is it was racist to accost him because he's yeah, black? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or people saying, that's a sending off offence. It was. It was not. It, it was. was a professional foul done on the halfway line. Saka was not through on goal. You and I both watch football enough to know that was a yellow card offence. And anyone saying that somehow that was I've got my hand against up. the rules of football. That is how, as a world-class, wily, intelligent centre-back... You play the game. You pull them back on the halfway line when you know that you can't do anything else. Joe, I must protest. And I'm not even joking. That is not how you do that and get away with it. You can't do it from behind, from the scruff of the neck, and choke someone like that. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Could have, could have, could have affected his esophagus. That could, we could have had another near-death experience. I'm no, not even joking. That no, is a red card. I completely disagree. Pep Guardiola's Manchester City are the experts at this. You trip someone, you pull them back, you Not do by whatever that. you When can. have you ever seen that before? I've, I've, when have you ever seen it before? I'm, off the top of my head, I've no idea because exactly, I didn't know never. we were going to have this never, 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 argument. Never. I'm telling you now, it was not a red card offence. It was good footballing. That's exactly what you do. And you know it By is. the letter you, of the law, are, it's not a red are, card. You know. We don't need to argue. I agree with you. By the letter of the law, this that's not a red card. This is the first time we've ever, he's, ever he's got not, this heated about something. He's not in a position on the pitch where you would anyone could say... That's an absolute scoring opportunity taken away. He wasn't the last man. He knew exactly what he was doing within letter of law, but that does not mean that wasn't dangerous and reckless and could have caused serious injury. Was it a red card? Yes, for that reason. Disagree. I also, th- I people are saying that the gre- the the studs on tackle on Greedish was a red card. I think no. I think that was almost more accidental than it was intentional, and therefore was a solid yellow. By the letter of the law, that one's more likely to be a red card than the Chiellini one. Listener, get in touch with us. We know what you think. <laughs> Because, obviously, no one is blaming either of those two refereeing decisions on the result. But nevertheless, would there have been... Uh, I think you'll find there's been a petition to replay the game because he should have been sent off. Really? Signed by over 50,000 people. That's not many. 
the same thing happens in the world it just happens all the time anytime there's like a refereeing decision that goes wrong someone starts a petition but I, I just don't want that to add to the litany of images I have in my head of England's failures the ghost goal the gazetteers it's the... not what was you'd have no guarantee that Saka was going to go on to even create a scoring chance but there's nothing about that image that is fair do you know what? I'm changing my mind. Harry Maguire out of my team at the uh, tournament. Chiellini in. We talked about the dark arts and Mancini being Snape. That was one of his Death Eaters at work. And Chiellini looked very happy with Avada his work. Kedavra. And he looked very happy with his work. Let's talk about the midfield after this. Do, 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 do. I want to kick you in the face. And we're back with our team of the tournament. Sponsored by UEFA and their team of the tournament that we might not fully disagree with. Joel, we've calmed down, had a little break after our... Don't argument. worry, listener, that the, the, the podcast is still going to continue. We've gone into mediation. Uh, we've, we've, we've had a professional mediator come in. Uh, we agree to disagree. Don't worry. Uh, for all of you who cannot live without your every week, probably, dose of the Absolute Worldly Football podcast, uh, it will continue. But... One thing we did discuss with the mediator that I'd like to bring up, Joel, is if that was the other way around, if that was Harry Maguire pulling the neck of, let's say, Insigne or Immobile, imagine how they would have reacted. They would have gone down and gone still. They would have pretended that they oh. couldn't breathe and it would have been straight red. Undoubtedly, they would have, it would, it's exactly what would have happened. I think we need to get the mediator back in. Quickly, let's get on to the midfield. Midfield! Okay, here's the three-man midfield that you wait for think. Pedri of Spain. Emil Pierre-Emile Hoiberg of Denmark and Jorginho of Italy. Interesting one, this. Uh, Jorginho, I think, undeniable. Um, potential Ballon d'Or f- uh, in line for him. Uh, that's, that's the golden ball. That- uh, given to the player who is the best footballer in the world every year. Usually Ronaldo or Messi. Well, he won the European Champions League with his club side and he's won the European Championship neither of which was expected to happen and he was the linchpin in both of those teams. I can't see beyond him uh, he played every game. Italy based their entire game around him. He's one of those players who is not super flashy. He's not super exciting. But if you decide to base your game, base the way you play football around him being in your team, so you put him alongside someone who can get up and down the pitch better than he can, who can maybe put the put a tackle in a bit better than he can, and just say, give him the ball. When we've got the ball, we give the ball to him and he makes things happen. I I think he's wonderful. A good example of one of the players that would accompany a player like Jorginho is Hjoiberg. Who is in this, not for his tough tackling ways, but because of what happened to his compatriot, Christian Eriksen, uh, as we've discussed many a time, as I'm sure you've all discussed as well, listener. uh, He... Joint top assist uh, maker in the tournament. Doesn't play that role for his club side Tottenham doesn't make a lot of goals doesn't make not known for his passing but he got forward a lot I would only say that whilst he did make quite a few goals I, I there's a couple of players that maybe played a bit better than him discuss of course but Huyberg let's lest we forget how he came into this tournament Ericsson obviously had to be removed from the pitch nearly lost his life a penalty was awarded later on in the game. Hoiberg stepped up, the penalty taker being Eriksson normally, and missed the penalty. Mm. They lost the game. And he recovered from that. He, he, he went on missing that penalty. Obviously, they're all under emo- emotional turmoil anyway. He fell to his knees. And you think, sub him now. Get, mm. this, get him off the pitch. He needs to be off the pitch. He needs, they're already in, suffering from trauma. Get him off. 
He recovered and he kept recovering. And by the time he was playing England in the semi-finals of this tournament in extra time, he still looked like as fresh as he did in the first game. Speaking of England, uh, I would throw uh, an English ever present into the mix for that position. Though. Which one? Calvin Phillips. Yeah, I think he would be a good a good choice for Didn't, this midfield. His stats don't stack up to Hoybjergs, but if you watch the England games, Phillips was probably the player who was most reliable. He carried the team at points, both defensively and going forward. There was a lot of onus on him. Uh, I'd throw him in, maybe not ahead of Hoiberg, but sort of level. And I would also put Declan Rice in that chat. Less so. I thought he was outstanding in the final. But then subbed very early. He was knackered. But yeah, I agree. We missed him. Um, I feel like for both Phillips and Rice, as their first ever major tournament... Mm. This was a tournament too soon for them to be included in, in a best team by UEFA. It's, there's, there's politics involved in this. But Hoiberg is in the sort of prime of his career. So uh, I would throw then uh, potentially a, a sort of a controversial one for a three-man midfield. But I don't think he would get in, in the forward line. Forsberg of Sweden. Yeah, scored goals aplenty. Uh, a threat. I'd put in Wijnaldum. Definitely oh. the player of the group stages for me. Yeah, Wijnaldum, uh, I picked him up before the tournament as someone with a point to prove him. By golly, did he prove it. Uh, yeah, excellent. I put potentially him in ahead of Hoiberg, but then Denmark got to the semi-finals and the Dutch got knocked out in the last 16. And listener, you might remember that Donnarumma has signed on a free transfer for Paris Saint-Germain. Genie Wijnaldum has also signed for PSG on a free transfer. So look out for them in next year's European uh, league competition, the Champions League. They are going to be dominant. Uh, And then uh, the third player in midfield, Pedri. Now, what an astonishing uh, season and tournament he had. He is 18 years old, Kyle. Had you... You'd heard of him from his season at Barcelona. Heard of him. I can't say I watch much Spanish football, so I had not seen much, but I knew that only Messi had played more time to Barcelona than him this season. So I knew that he was coming in to the tournament having had his first full season under his belt. But uh, the fact is, Luis Enrique, the Luis Enrique Martinez, as we established on this podcast very early on, the manager of Spain, clearly rates him so highly, he didn't take him off. There were other, you know, uh, uh, Liverpool fans uh, are Liverpool uh, listeners may have spent a lot of the tournament going, why is Thiago Alcantara not playing? Why Where's is Thiago? Why is Thiago... Al- well, he's not playing because Pedri, with the ball at his feet, is a wizard. In the knockout stages, I think in two of the three games that Spain were involved in, his pass completion rate was over 95%. That's, ex- I mean, just astonishing. He's 18, He's 18 Kyle. and he is dominating play uh, at the top level for a Barcelona team in crisis that might not have Messi anymore. Uh, and I mean, not anymore. He has just officially signed a new contract. He hasn't signed a contract. He can't. That's another podcast, but effectively they still can't sign anyone up. Okay. So, um, but basically he could be the shining light for Spain for the next 15 to 20 years. He's that young and mm. that talented. And I don't think there's a player that we would replace him within this team. Honourable mentions? Well, we've said Rice and Phillips. Uh, Verratti, always a top quality midfielder. Uh, Locatelli. Yeah, Italy, just in general, across that midfield. They had some. Uh, they also had Pessina, who was very, very Barella. good. Barella. Uh, yep. Yeah. Barella, they have a lot of options in those kind of centre midfield positions. De Bruyne. De Bruyne, yeah, Belgium, gosh. Um, All of those honourable mentions aside, I would say more than Hoiberg, Pedri deserves his place in that midfield. And certainly my young player of the tournament. Unquestionably. I was hoping we might be able to say something for Bellingham 
or even Sancho, it wasn't their tournament. Their tournament will come, Joel. You just can't help but get England into absolutely every part of this conversation, can you? Let's get ahead of the striking positions, Joel. We'll look forward to that after this. Okay, football is good. Football is fun. Football is there for everyone. I can't really be bothered to follow it properly, but I'll tell you one thing. I prefer it to broccoli. Kick ball with football, yeah. Enrico Chiesa. Nope, that's his dad. Federico Chiesa. Romelu Lukaku. Raheem Sterling discuss. It's a good forward line in real life. Good balance to that. Mmm. I don't... Let's start with... You seem confused. Well, let's start with Lukaku. He had a good tournament. Scored a lot of goals. Was he the best forward? It's hard to say that. I would say no. But he, on reputation and on form from his club sort of career, I'd say he's the best striker at the tournament, apart from Lewandowski. Yep, who went out in the group stages, so... Certainly was could, could does not qualify for the best striker of the tournament, only playing three games. Would the top goal scorer of the tournament sometimes be taken into a conversation about best striker? I am shocked Ronaldo's not in this team. Shocked. Yeah. But they also went out in the last 16 or the quarters, did they? The last 16, Portugal, they got beaten by Belgium. Lukaku's Belgium. Ah, so that by that very nature, Lukaku knocks out Ronaldo. What about Patrick Schick? That is who I was hoping you were going to bring up. The Robert Pattinson of football. You keep saying it, it'll stick. Um, I don't... It'll shick. Very nice. Uh, it's baffling, really, isn't it? I'm sure anyone who saw him score that amazing goal against Scotland or take that penalty with blood streaming out of his nose past the cotton buds they'd shoved up it like looking like a superhero, scoring goals for fun. Uh, most people going, who is he? Have you heard of him? And me going, no. And them going, oh my God, if you haven't heard of him, how will I have heard of him? I m- imagine most people are like, well, how the hell does that guy not make the team of the tournament? He scored the most goals of anyone other than Ronaldo. He was playing for a less desirable team, harder games, less chances created, and he scored five goals. I, I, I would put him in ahead of Lukaku just in team of the tournament. Who would I want to be bought by the football team I support? Lukaku. Who do I think deserves to be in team of the tournament? The Royal Patterson of football, Mr. Schick. Yeah, if we're talking about legacy of this tournament, when you think of Patrick Schick, you'll only ever think of Euro 2020. Mm. Unless he goes on to boss the World Cup, which I think is unlikely. Yeah, well, the Czech Republic... Did they had a good tournament? Didn't have a great tournament. They did better than anyone thought they would. Uh, definitely benefited from the three teams per group situation going through, and they beat Holland, which was the big big surprise. And Schick did score the longest distance goal of in Euro Championship history, which just won UEFA's goal of the tournament. Eight hundred thousand people voted, and they all listened to this podcast. Good on you guys. Uh, That does remind me of another moment that I loved in this tournament. So we had that goal that went in the right end and then the Pedri back pass that went in the wrong end when the goalkeeper Unai Simon missed it. Two very long goal, uh, long range goals for different reasons, both wonderful. From the same distance out, which is just a great stat. Um, Also, uh, well, you've reminded me we didn't discuss that with Pedri, that he scored a a bizarre own goal. But we also, Unai Simon, uh, the goalkeeper for Spain, keeping out Man United's David De Gea. It was interesting when we were talking about the goalkeepers that from the four semi-finalists, we discussed Kasper Schmeichel, Jordan Pickford and Gianluigi Donnarumma. But Simon did not get into that conversation, I think probably mostly because of that 
particular moment. Yes, and he did save some penalties in penalty shirts as well. So really, we've we've done him a done him down. Mm, very much so. Moving very on to so. those rides forwards, Joel Sterling. So, Chiesa, well, Sterling. Do you want to go start with Sterling? No, let's start with Chiesa. Chiesa, Chiesa. So amazing story. We love a narrative. Dad Enrico scored at the Euros for Italy. Many years later, his son Federico is doing the same thing. Very different players. Enrico Chiesa was much more of a sort of out-and-out striker and Federico is much more of a winger. Didn't start. Less, um, I, enjoy play, I enjoy when players come into a team as the tournament goes on. He, beca- he made himself undroppable by scoring the vital goals that kept Italy in the tournament. Uh, was vital against Austria, was vital against Belgium. But uh, it was Berardi, Domenico Berardi of Sassuolo, who started in that position and then came out for Chiesa. I think he is there on merit. I think there are some players that you could discuss going in ahead of him. I'd say he's dangerous. In that final, he's a constant threat. He wants to score, and you really want that from your wide forwards. They're supposed to create and provide as well, but he, if he was getting the ball in the box or if he was running at a striker, uh, running at a defender, he was going to beat them and he was going to shoot. And he did that multiple times and scored a few goals. And he's a player that comes out of this tournament looking like a world-class player. Uh, options to maybe honourable mentions alongside him his fellow winger on the other side uh, Lorenzo Insigne yeah I feel Insigne has been hard done by but then you'd have to take out Sterling and then that's a very pro-Italian team but that's fine they did win but I would say Insigne could go you could could have put Insigne in maybe ahead of Chiesa yeah I feel like putting Chiesa in is like putting Grealish in but he did score more goals than Grealish Uh, another honourable mention someone that both of us sort of have laughed at in the past uh, Martin Brathwaite yeah yeah he's played well what tournament he's had for Denmark really proving why he's a Barcelona player Maybe not for much longer. What about... Uh, also, also Yusuf Poulsen from Denmark, equally as useful in a forward position. I'm going for another young player of the tournament, Mikkel Damsgaard, another Dane. Yeah. He was a real uh, revelation of this tournament. And, you know, I think, I, I suspect, maybe not in this country where it will be remembered for good reasons and bad reasons all to do with the English national team. And we will, of course, listen to the ending talking about the bad reasons. Um, but uh, I think in the rest of Europe and potentially the rest of the world, it will be remembered for what happened to Christian Eriksen. And Damsgaard at, how old is he, 20? Yeah. Coming into the team, playing in the same position as the national hero who had nearly died and pretty much picking up exactly where Eriksen left off, doing the same things, creative, scoring great goals, uh, revelation. The pressure must have been huge. I I think I'd have him on the bench of my team of the tournament for sure. That's fair. That's fair. I, I'm trying to think if there's any other wingers. Uh, Thorgan Hazard, who's playing wing back for Belgium, but he would be a shout on the wing. Uh, the brother of his of more famous Eden Hazard. Another breakout player, young player, Jeremy Doku. Yeah, so exciting. He's really 18, good. Built massively. Very skillful, very quick, hard to get the ball off. Didn't play much, though. Danny Olmo from Spain. Yes, another really interesting one. I, uh, I, so, having watched a lot of this tournament with people who don't often watch football, uh, somebody said to me, why does it seem like every single good player plays either for RB Leipzig or Atalanta? Did you notice that? I think that is that's true I completely agree and that is a, a, a case of uh, the traditional teams uh, and lazy narratives you just assume the best players play for the same old clubs and now off the back of this tournament 
those players' value has skyrocketed and Atalanta and Red Bull Leipzig can be safe in the knowledge that they're going to make a lot of money. They've got, they, they genuinely have some really exciting players. Atalanta, I've already seen a bunch of their players who've done well at this tournament linked with moves. Uh, Leipzig players are always potentially on the move uh, because those teams are not glamorous clubs and need to make some money. And admittedly, Leipzig have got very good funding, but yeah. Uh, Danny Olmo, I, I would say 100% in that conversation. Uh, uh, weirdly, I think maybe as, as a consequence of, like you say, a slightly changing of style in football in general, wingers, sort of outside forwards, less prevalent than in previous years. Yeah, we, but we're seeing the the thrust of the the marauding wing back. Um, I mean, what I've seen a lot of people talking about is that the future formation is three at the back with one centre back, two full backs either side of them, and then wing backs outside of them. Love it. Loads of defenders, but loads of defenders who can carry the ball out from defence. Love it, love it. Yeah, I mean, can't wait. It's classic. It's the opposite of, of. I mean, this is about to get way too footbally for a casual listener, but it's like if the Pep system was pack a team with centre midfielders, the new system is pack a team with fullbacks. Fullbacks are fashionable. Yeah. One more striker for you before we talk about probably England's player of the tournament, Harry Kane. Mm. Four goals mm. uh, came late in the tournament. A classic example of a player being written off having a poor tournament. He looked sluggish. He looked he injured. Looked injured. He looked absolutely desperate to be involved. He was over trying, I would say. And yet he finishes the tournament with four goals, um, not to be sniffed at. And his value was back up to where it probably should be, £100 million. Mm. Will he be at Tottenham next season, Joel? I don't think so. And I think uh, if reports are to be believed, he is very determined to leave. Uh, And he's done enough to warrant that move. Will he be a teammate of our last player to talk about in our team in the tournament, Raheem Sterling? Well, amazingly, Man City are uh, are thinking about selling Sterling, which I just... Listen, listener, if you've listened to us for over, over two years, or even for the full three... You'll know that we have been cheerleaders for Raheem Sterling for a very, very long time. What a player. Team player. Works hard. Admittedly, tournament really hung on that moment when he passed the ball to Muller in the Germany game. Uh, But uh, from start to finish, the only player who has come out with a completely unblemished record for England, I'd say. And didn't take a penalty in the final, so got away with that one as well. Was he still on the pitch? Yes. Oh dear. So was was Sterling and Grealish. Well, we'll two. come back to the penalty job, but let's 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 focus on Raheem. Mm. As you said, our cheerleading chickens have come home to roost. After the 2018 tournament, we were we were just desperate for him to have more of an impact that we could say, oh, that goal is emblematic of what an important player he is. This team, we had loads of those moments in this tournament, and especially in the semi final, I will never forget 120 minutes of football, extra time, still running like it was the first minute. He is our best player. And still uh, diving like uh, the best footballers not from this country. He is so talented at finding the pockets of space, by which I mean running at a different sort of pace, the sort of visualising where the space is going to be, finding that space, manipulating that space in a way that not many English players can he's do. He's borderline unplayable at times when he's on form. I love him. Uh, I would put him in this team in the tournament, hands down, no question. I can't think of anyone I would have as an honourable mention playing in the same position as him. And also the whole Wembley narrative. They keep showing you like nice sort of drone shots of the stadium and then a little circle around his house. You could li- It's like so close. It's just amazing. And the stuff that's come out about his sister taking him on three buses to training as a kid, his mum cleaning houses... 
in order to be able to afford to, to keep him in his training. Just every part of it from beginning to end with Raheem is, is a wonderful thing and he deserves to be raised up on the shoulders of the nation. Speaking of the shoulders of the nation, we will be back to sum all of this up and also to discuss the thing that you know we want to talk about because we talk about it all the time in the final part of this Euro sum up after this. Okay, that's why. Turn my headphones up. Okay, let's do this. Here we go. So when Rashford step forward when Marcus Rashford the hero of this country the leader of the de facto opposition um, someone made up a song feed the children Marcus Rashford eh, eh, MBE which I just loved yep. tried to um, sing it no one would sing it when he stepped up to take the penalty uh, terrible penalty terrible don't understand that technique awful as soon as he missed it an alarm bell went off in my head uh, and then Sancho missed his and the alarm bell started ringing very loudly and then Saka missed his. And anyone, this podcast has always worn its political sleeve on its heart. It's probably why we don't have that many <laughs> listeners. <laughs> political sleeve on its heart. Yeah. <laughs> political heart on its sleeve. <laughs> that, actually, sentence is like political sleeve on its heart is why we don't have many listeners. Yep. Um, anyone who, watched, who saw that happen and went, well, I didn't even think about the colour of their skin is a liar. Uh, three young black men stepped up and missed a penalty and all I could think was the racism that is going to come their way on social media um, is horrifying and uh, I know a lot of black people, black British people on Twitter were saying this and friends who were saying this about young relatives were out that they were genuinely more scared than for just uh, young black Britons walking home from the game or whatever. Just all of it was so predictable and so utterly indicative of not a sickness in football, but a sickness in our society. And it's... Football is very easy to attack a lot of the time. And you can say these sickening football fans, but I would rather talk about sickening people who were so inevitably going to attack those young men based on the colour of their skin. I have to admit that I was very naive... I thought that the tournament had gone so well, the groundswell of support for this whole team, and not just as a team, but the individuals within it and all of their stories, that we wouldn't see it. And obviously we did, and it was disgusting. I think there's also, you know, Kyle, like, I'm very pessimistic and negative at the best of times, and this is a real example of that. But why do you think... Jack Grealish of all the players has been sort of held up as this sort of like the the kind of hero that people yeah. want from the England team. Yeah, there, there's there are some interesting um, mirroring of England uh, sort of times past. The whole Foden Gaza haircut thing that was a sort of nod to a, a you know trying to get people to think about successful England teams or nearly moments and. So there was that link to the sort of a sort of a, a a time where I like to imagine that things were worse. Clearly, they're not. They're the same, if not worse, now. But yeah, the Grealish thing. I I watched that clamor every time he came on. I don't dislike Grealish as a player. I think he has. Threats, I love him. Love him. But he he did nothing to merit the support support he, he was came, getting. I think he came in my head to symbolise something really negative when you and I and anyone who knows anything about football are looking at the team and saying the person who was 
as we've already discussed, the most important player in that team was Raheem Sterling. But for the rest of the country, they wanted Jack Grealish on the pitch. And I'm not saying that's everyone, but I'm saying that if you look at the evidence of the response to those three penalty misses, there is definitely a, a, a line of thought that says for an England player to be a hero, they have to be white. Or at least we'd prefer that. England fans would prefer that, which is disgraceful. Um, and all I can hope is that the backlash against all of this racism it will will over time grow and grow and grow and drown it out and will around you know the harry kane coming out and saying if you have reacted in this way the day after tournament this man has led this team after an exhausting season you can see he's got nothing left on the tank every minute he plays in this tournament and yet he's not substituted once he's got nothing left we don't win after he scores his penalty in the in the knockout and he has to stand for his whole team and he comes out and says, if you reacted in this way, you're not an England fan and we don't want you. I mean, slight like Khrushchev's correction corner there that he was substituted twice, but I too, totally agree with you otherwise. I thought you didn't care about England. I, I follow football. I know when which players were substituted when. Um, anyway, sorry, yes, but you know, I said, like, thank... We, it's disgusting that, the, that Rashford, Saka and Sancho and the other black players in the team have to come out and defend themselves on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but also the, 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 their very existence as... Right, listen, multi-millionaire footballers are not... They are in a rarefied part of society, but they mirror what's happening in the rest of society. So those black players shouldn't have to do extraordinary things to justify either their Englishness or their right to move through our society without racism. They should be able to do exactly the same shit <laughs> that the rest of us do and live whatever shitty lives they want. You know, I don't care if, in some ways, I don't, you know, obviously, if, uh, if Raheem Sterling comes out tomorrow and does something which I find reprehensible morally, uh, I will disagree with him. But that doesn't excuse disagreeing with his very existence based on the colour of his skin, which is essentially what these people are doing. Like, I, I've, I hate the narrative that black people have to succeed or people of colour have to succeed to an incredibly high level just for acceptance. People should be allowed to make any kind of mistake they want and you should be able to criticise them justly. Uh, and saying Marcus Rashford took a terrible penalty and should have known better and done a better penalty is one thing. Criticising him for that fact based on the colour of his skin because he has to achieve better as a black man is disgusting. But there's also the added thing that he has to achieve better as a black man to be English. Yeah. If you don't, if you do, if you succeed, you're English. And if you don't, it's because you're black. And it's just, it's, it, you hope that we can drown out this dissent with the help from social media actually doing something about their platforms and, and the the way that they allow people to wear their opinions uh, and how that's connected to their actual identity as opposed to not. Like, they, these this ha changes have to be made in that regard. But also, the rest of us have to drown it out. And the, the Rashford mural that was defaced, the, the response to that was beautiful and powerful. People gathered instantly to cover whatever the message was with messages of support. And now, that mural has taken on a whole new strength and meaning. Well... Let's wrap this up and, and, and say goodbye to the tournament. Um, probably not goodbye to season seven, because we will be back, won't we, Carl? In this season? Yeah, why not? But the new season starts in a matter of weeks. Exactly. And I suppose the point to leave it on there is uh, that with any luck, 
in this next season, fans will be allowed, well, with any luck, they will be. Fans will be at the at the games. And I think the players will still be taking the knee. And I would hope that in the first episode back, still in this season somehow, our season, not the football season, it's confusing, that the fans won't be booing, they'll be cheering on the basis of, of seeing just how necessary it is that the players take a stand against racism. Well, we've talked about how the the. Football Association, the Premier League have tried to separate taking the knee from Black Lives Matter. Let's stop doing that. Let's have the obvious, very apparent connection between the two reinforced and let's let, let's applaud it for what it is and let's cheer for them. Let's support them. And then let's support this England team into winning the World Cup. And, you know, somehow more important than all of that, support us, listener. We want to keep making this. Do you want us to keep making it? Tell us. Tell us. In a minute, you'll hear where you can tweet us, where you can find us on Instagram, and an email address if you want to send us an occasional email. Tell us how wonderful we are. More importantly, please share us with your friends. Like us. Just tell one friend. Just say, hey, you, I, I know what you'd like. You like football sometimes, and you like having a laugh all the time. You should just, I love it. And I can't tell you enough how important it is for you to press that five stars, because we need it. Give us a little comment. Yeah, any, all of that. We'll even respond to you. We'll give you a shout out. Thank you so much for joining us for this European Championship. It was a blast. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it this much. I feel guilty about it because it shouldn't have happened during the time of COVID. But nevertheless, my God, was it fun. It was so fun. Uh, And on that note, Kyle, it's been fun chatting to you for the last few weeks. See you next season. See you next football season. Still within season seven of the Absolute Worldie Football Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. That was the Absolute Weldy Football Podcast by Kyle Ross and Joel Samuels with theme music by Adam Janos-Bazowski and Amachada Patel. Absolute Weldy is dedicated to the memory of Liam Seeker. Please do remember to like, share, subscribe, follow us at Weldy Podcast on Twitter, Absolute Weldy Football Podcast on Instagram, and drop us a line anytime at AbsoluteWeldyPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye. That is how, as a world-class, world, wild, wildly? Worldly? Worldly? No, no, you know, like, oh crap, what's the word? Kick <laughs>